0: Paul's prayer for the believers is that they would have this commonality to be knit together, but in love. It's not uh, phileo love, it's agape love. Not knit together in brotherly love, but in the agape love of Jesus Christ, that they would be knit together in love.
1: from God's
0: Word. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. The title itself comes from verse 7. In verse 6, it completes the sentence, You therefore have received from Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. The title of the message, Rooted, Built Up, and Established, and it's the desire today that we would just kind of think about that, the establishing of our faith for us today, a group of believers, that we would take the faith that we have received through acknowledging Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our life, and to then take that and to build upon that faith that we might be rooted, built up, and established in our faith. Verse 1 tells us, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and as for many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, And obtaining to the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware, lest anyone should cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And thank you, Lord, for your word, and I pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would bless the reading and teaching of your word to our souls this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so being encouraged and knit together, we begin in the first three verses where Paul begins in verse 1 and and speaks about this great conflict. He says, For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you, and those in Laodicea, and as for as many have not seen my face in the flesh. Last week we learned in chapter 1, verse 25, that Paul had been given a stewardship by God uh, to fulfill the word of God or to fully preach the gospel of Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. In verse 29 of chapter 1, he refers to his labor and strivings according to his working, which works in me mightily, Paul would say. Labor, referring to that feeling fatigue, it means that he was working hard. He was feeling fatigued to toil at something. Striving means uh, literally to compete for a, a prize, but figuratively to contend with an adversary and And Paul, through his labors, through his strivings, and now he adds to it a a great conflict here in chapter 2, verse 1. He was looking toward the spiritual well-being of the believers there in Colossae and Laodicea. He says, to all those who have not seen my face. Now, the Greek word for great conflict, agnon, is the Greek word it refers to literally refers to a stadium like for them it would have been the Olympics or for us it would be watching perhaps a football season coming upon us and watching that great conflict that striving on the field of the athletes as they compete or this past week I don't know if you saw it but a gal was about ready to win the bronze medal in running and she celebrated one step too early And it was, she put her arms up, and the other person stepped in front of her and took the bronze, and and it was a great conflict. A lot of emotion was played out because she knew she beat herself that day. Because if she would have just stayed in the race, even one step, it reminded me of Michael Phelps when he won the eight gold medals. And on the butterfly, he took the one extra stroke where the guy right next to him was coasting in for the win. And Phelps took the one extra stroke that caused him just by the tip of a finger to touch the wall prior to his opponent that was right next to him, the one who should have won if he would have taken the extra stride. And sometimes I think we fall short in that way. And Paul is saying, there's this great conflict. I'm in this contest myself. And figuratively, it refers to an effort anxiety, um, either physical or spiritual, that can arise in our lives. But there was this great burden that he had for the people there, his labors, his strivings, his great conflict for the believers of Colossae, of Laodicea. He says, for all those who have not yet seen my face, how many have seen Paul, picture of Paul? None of us, right? And so he's, in a sense, he's writing to us too, that Paul had this great burden for the believers who were living then, but also for those believers who would not yet come to faith in Christ. And though he had spent the last three or four years in Roman custody, his imprisonment did not prevent him from being actively engaged in other believers' lives uh, through writing, through his prayers, through his petitions. A few weeks ago, I'd mentioned that James, who's been in Israel now for 15 years, had emailed me, and in the email, he had this line. He said, you, Lily, and CCLV are nightly in my prayers, along with Johnny as well. Please keep me updated on any requests that need to be lifted up. And basically, James was saying, I pray for you guys every night, and if you let me know what's going on or how I can pray, I can more effectively pray for you. But James' inability to physically interact with us, he's 13 plus hours away from us in a you know, different country, different time zones. But it doesn't mean that he can't contend for us. He, he can't have a similar labor and strivings and great conflict through prayers and petitions. And the same is true for us today. Whether we know a person or not, we can personally be engaged in their spiritual well-being through writing a note, through prayers, and through petitions. Maybe it's a visit that you make or a phone call that you make just to let people know that you're on their heart. So he had this great conflict, but also in verse 2, a great desire. Verses 2 and 3, I should say, it says, "...that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and obtaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding." "...to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both for the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." So this is Paul's petition, Paul's prayer for them. And he broke it down this way. He said that their hearts may be encouraged. Secondly, that they would be knit together in love. Third, that they would obtain all riches of full assurance. And fourth, that they would obtain the knowledge of the mystery of God." And so we go back to his great desire first that they might be encouraged, and that word for encouragement in the Greek means to come alongside. It's a a very similar tense of the word was used when Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit coming alongside us in John 14, 16. He says, when the comforter comes to you, that word is paracletus. It means to come alongside, to draw near to someone. It's actually a word that speaks of a A legal term of a lawyer who would come along for your defense. He's coming alongside, drawing near. And Paul, he's saying, I want to be that encouragement to you. I want to come alongside. I want to uh, draw near to you in a very similar way. And Paul's labors, his strivings, his great conflicts toward them would have brought the believers of Colossae such encouragement, I think, just to know how would it be if we would receive a letter saying that, hey, I just wanted you guys to know that, you know, I'm striving, I'm laboring, I have this great conflict. And and wouldn't we take that letter so personally and, and really be encouraged by it and really blown away? It's like, how could he be writing us? We're here in freedom and he's in prison. And I think perhaps maybe that's a field that, the believers had as they received this letter from Paul and how encouraging it would be to receive the letter itself. Secondly, his great desire, first, that they would be encouraged. Second, that they would be knit together in love. And the word to be knit together, it does mean that, you know, sewing up two materials. It also can mean to be driven together or united to instruct or teach. And sometimes circumstances can drive people together but it does not mean that there's love involved with it whatsoever. It's just the circumstances. It caused me to think of Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War, and we're going back to, I have never read the book, but I think most of us had heard a phrase from his book where he said, my enemy's enemy is my friend, or sometimes it comes across this way, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And basically it's saying that When two enemies or two parties have a common enemy, then they can work together for the greater good. But there's no love involved with that whatsoever. It it reminded me every time I looked at this, thinking of when our country was battling against Germany and we had Russia as an ally. It doesn't even seem right in our mindset that we would have an ally in Russia, but we did because we had a common enemy. But Paul's prayer for the believers is that they would have this commonality to be knit together, but in love. It's not uh, phileo love, it's agape love. Not knit together in brotherly love, but in the agape love of Jesus Christ, that they would be knit together in love. Thirdly, that he had this great desire, first, that they would be encouraged, second, that they would be knit together, third, that they would obtain to all the riches of the full assurance. And this full assurance, it's only found three times in the New Testament here, and then twice in Hebrews. And the word itself means a fullness, an abundance, an entire confidence. So Paul is speaking about this full assurance. Vines describes the word this way. He says, The freedom of mind and confidence resulting from an understanding of Christ. That there's this full assurance. Now think about this. There were perhaps Judaizers, Gnostics coming and teaching. And Paul's going to get to the false teaching in this passage. But they were teaching the believers who had come to faith in Jesus Christ that it's good that you believe in Jesus, but you're not quite all the way there. There's a little bit more that you need. Uh, Gnostics would say there's more knowledge that needs to be obtained. The Judaizers would say there's some rituals that you have to do and you've got to keep the law. And there was no full assurance whatsoever. And yet the word is found three times in the New Testament, once here, that they would have of full assurance of understanding. And then twice in Hebrews, in Hebrews 6, verse 11 and 12, it's found in verse 11, but we need to read the whole context to get the idea of it. And we understand that each one of you show the same diligence of full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherent the promises that we should have this full assurance of hope that we we keep going that we don't become sluggish but that we keep our eyes on others imitate others that we know that man they got it figured out you can tell that they've been walking with the Lord in such a way and that's one of the things that I've done uh, throughout my life is to find those individuals who have been pillars of faith in our lifetime But also to look back on those individuals throughout history, whether we're talking about the apostles in Scripture, some of the Old Testament saints that we can learn from them, things that have been written or some of those great men and women of faith who have already gone on to be with the Lord, but their writings have been left for us today, perhaps their recordings left for us, that we can be built up in our faith but also to find those physical people. Is, I mean, we can touch them physically or, in a sense, uh, know them, that we would not become sluggish, but to imitate those through who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises that we would be diligent to the full assurance of hope until the end, that we'd have this full assurance of hope. Secondly, or the third time, I should say, but second time in Hebrews, It's found in verse 22 this time. Again, we need to read context. So verses 21 and 22 of chapter 10. And having a priest over the house of God, referring to Jesus, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so the freedom of mind, the confidence that results with being able to come to the Lord, and Hebrews 10, to come boldly before the throne of grace, that we can present our petitions before God because Christ, our high priest, has been sacrificed for us because the price of our sins had been paid. And we take this full assurance of hope all the way until the end, according to Hebrews 6, 11, and 12. And here in Colossians 2, uh, verse 2, that we have this full assurance of understanding that we would obtained the riches of this. I, I got to tell you this, that when I was in my early 20s and I struggled with the idea of the assurance of my faith, that I was not sure that I was saved, that there seemed to be something more, something missing, something lacking, and it, it just for over a year just troubled me. And although throughout the course of that year, I continued on in everything that I'd been doing and had been taught it wasn't until one Sunday morning between Sunday school and church service that the Lord spoke to my heart and He gave me that assurance, that full assurance that I'd been lacking. But since that day, I've had He gave me that full assurance of faith that I could also attain to all the riches of this understanding, and and he continues on, that they would obtain to the knowledge of the mystery. And so the two kind of go together. First of all, that they'd have a full assurance of understanding. Secondly, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and Jesus Christ. We already mentioned the very first week, I believe, that we got into Colossians, that the Spirit is only mentioned once in this text. But we do find God the Father and Jesus Christ being mentioned a lot together. Uh, Last week we saw it as well, the fullness of the Godhead. This week, again, referring to it here. And that they would attain to the knowledge, it's epigenosis is the Greek word. It means to have a full knowledge of, uh, a recognition, a discernment, an understanding. And it's referring to that mystery. Remember last week, we learned that in the Bible, a mystery refers to spiritual truths that had been hidden with God from the beginning, but now has been revealed to us. It's been a mystery from our perspective, but it's always been known to God. But God has made known to us now these mysteries. They're available to us to understand what? He said to understand the mystery of God, both in the Father and of Jesus Christ, to have this understanding of who God is. Remember, the Gnostics taught further knowledge needed the judaizers taught that there was more works needed for salvation yet paul said neither works or knowledge can increase the rich blessings that we already have received through faith in jesus christ christ in you is the hope of glory in jesus we have all that we need and one key to god's grace and peace comes through this knowledge this epigenosis this precise or correct understanding of who God the Father is, who Jesus is as his Son. And so he encourages us. He says that we should be encouraged, knit together. And Paul had this great conflict, this great desire for the believers that their hearts might be encouraged, that they would be knit together in love, that they would obtain to all the riches, to the fullness, assurance of the understanding of the knowledge of the mystery of God concerning God the Father and Jesus Christ. Verses 4 through 7. He speaks about good order and steadfastness. Good order and steadfastness. And he begins by saying the deceiving words of the flesh. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And this deceive means to misreckon, to delude, to deceive I I, I like the word beguile. They're going to beguile you. That you're, in a sense, you know, you're this sucker that gets drawn into this teaching. And Paul's warning the Colossian believers against the persuasive teachings of the Judaizers, the Gnostics, any other group, who might dare to distort the truth of the gospel. In our day and age, it might be the Jehovah's Witness who come knocking at your door, those two um, elders who, uh, it's always humorous, the term elder and a 20-year-old coming knocking at your door. But from the Mormons that come knocking at the door, they will say that what you've learned in the Word of God and the Bible, it's not quite true. You don't have the full knowledge. And Jehovah's Witness would say you need the right translation. The Mormons would say you need an additional book that you can help You understand the word of God that without this book, the book of Mormons, you won't have the proper understanding, but it is still this same delusion and those who are sucked into it, they're beguiled by these groups, by these teachings. Paul would say to the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia, it was a region that he was writing to there, not to a single town. He said in Galatians 5, 7 through 9, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And Paul, he acknowledged, you ran well, man. You started well. You had faith in your grasp. But then someone came alongside that caused you to doubt your past faithfulness and and caused you to doubt your position in Christ. And in the passage of time, they allowed themselves to be beguiled through the persuasive doctrines, the false teachings. And there are similar ones that exist to this day. And how do you know the truth from a counterfeit? Well, you get to know the truth so well that when a counterfeit is revealed to you, it's not even a question. You just know it's real. Paul again would write to to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, 3, and 4, But I fear lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He was warning them. Don't let people come along and deceive you with these false doctrines. Uh, the Judaizers, the Gnostics, the traditions of men. Uh, to this day, we have these different gospels. Well, philosophies, empty deceit, traditions, although they may be greatly popular in this world, they threaten our spiritual health if they supersede or nullify the word of God. Therefore, we must keep our eyes fixed upon the originator of all things, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whom dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, for he is head of all things and head over his church. He's head over you and over me. And Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless the teaching of your word to our souls. And Lord, may we walk in such a way that you are head over us, and that we would willingly surrender ourselves to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
1: Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit.